Welcome to an exciting new episode of Next Best Adaptation. I'm Nicole Ackman, and I'm your host, and I'm joined today by two very exciting members of Next Best Picture who are new to Next Best Adaptation, Michael Schwartz. Hello, everyone. And Cody Derricks. I'm so excited to talk about a, a um, how do you pronounce it, a, a book. <laughs> <laughs> new territory for me. Oh, man. Well, in our last episode, we talked about Agatha Christie's Death on the Nile and the upcoming film adaptation by Kenneth Branagh. And today we are back to discuss Hillbilly Elegy by J.D. Vance. So Hillbilly Elegy is a memoir that is focused on Vance's grandparents, his parents, and his childhood and early adulthood. But it's largely a book about the people of the Appalachian Mountain region and how they have had to move to other places to find work, but they still maintain their hillbilly, which is his word, not mine, values. And he imparts a lot of information about this culture through recalling his own personal family history, uh, particularly of his grandparents who left Kentucky for Ohio. And the movie's being made into a film starring Amy Adams and Glenn Close, which we will talk about in a bit. But first, let's talk about the novel. So what are your first thoughts on it? So I heard a lot about Hillbilly Elegy four years ago when it first came out. And this this was leading up to the 2016 presidential election, and it was a real lightning rod at that point. You had people from the left and the right talking about what it meant and how it perfectly encapsulated these, you know, rural American voters in Appalachia, but also in the Midwest in general, and how it was a snapshot of their lives. And it was a type of person or group of people that we didn't hear about or see very often. Four years removed from that, Getting around to the book, you know, after we're living through a time where you hear more than enough about these people from, you know, New York Times pieces about, you know, Trump voters in a diner or, you know, going into these counties where people don't feel represent, represented in the media or on the news. I've been going into it with all that knowledge. And, you know, I found some of it fascinating. I found other bits of it a little condescending. But overall, I think it was an unique read. I'm not going to say interesting, but I found little bits of it that, you know, allowed me to see things through a different lens, which may have been the intended purpose all along. Definitely. I I think it's interesting because it's also a culture that we often don't hear about from someone of that culture. We often, like you said, it's like a New York Times piece or something like that, but it's I think it's more rare to to kind of hear it from someone on the inside. Cody, what did you think of this book? I have very similar thoughts as Michael. Um, I kind of respected the book's um, sympathetic, but not letting off the hook in a way portrayal of um, this uh, group of people that he's talking about. And um, a lot of it obviously is very personal to the author because he, you know, grew up in this area with these people, with the types of people he's writing about. Um, and that's both a benefit and a detriment to the book. I think it's extremely anecdotal. And from those anecdotes, he derives a lot of, uh, extrapolations and opinions and conclusions about socioeconomic policies and, um, welfare culture and all sorts of things like that in a way that I think doesn't really quite examine the actual roots of the issues. It kind of goes very, um, personal and, I don't really think that's the best and most complete way to approach these types of quote unquote issues. So it 
for putting it in the mindset of these people, I applaud the book, but I think it kind of could have used a little bit further extrapolation of the themes and the ideas it was presenting. This is Krista Makes, guitarist and vocalist for Less Than Jake, and host of Krista Makes a Podcast, a songwriting podcast where every week I'm joined by an amazing guest to break down the writing, recording, and release of one iconic song from their career. In our giant, evergreen back catalog of episodes, we've had rock legends such as Dee Snyder and Huey Lewis, punk rock favorites like Mark Hoppus, Fat Mike, and Brett Gurowitz, and up-and-coming artists of today such as Liz Stokes of The Beths and Genesis Owusu. We've had guests from all genres and styles of music, and I guarantee that if you peruse our back catalog, you'll see several episodes that'll make you say, man, I gotta hear that. Whether you're a fan of music or a creator of music yourself, you'll take away a whole new appreciation for the songs you know and love. Chris Makes a Podcast is available for free on all the places you could possibly listen to podcasts. And new episodes come out every Monday. Hey there! I'm Hannah. And I'm Audrey. We are a sister filmmaking duo and co-hosts of Sleepover Cinema, our show where we analyze the films that created the collective unconscious of the girls, gays, and theys of the late 90s and early 2000s. Princess Diaries, The Cheetah Girls, Aquamarine, Cinderella, the one starring Brandy. We haven't stopped thinking about these movies since we first saw them, and we want you to rewatch them and review them with us. Are these movies as bad as critics would have us believe? Do we even care if they are? We are always unpacking that very question on Sleepover Cinema. Check out Sleepover Cinema wherever you get your podcasts or at evergreenpodcast.com. See you soon. It definitely feels like this is more like this is anthropology, not sociology. Like it's not a study of these people. I think that he makes a lot of conclusions based on his own experience about this kind of culture as a whole. And I, some of those I was like, "Eh, I don't know. I don't know if you're right there, but I do think that what you can take from it is like his own personal experience. And a lot of it was actually pretty eye opening for me. I think I am the only one of us who is from the South and I'm from North Carolina and I'm from sort of the more eastern part of the state. So this culture has always been something that I was kind of aware of, but was sort of adjacent to more of the culture that I actually live in. So for me, it was really interesting to kind of get a peek into what these people were like, especially because I saw a lot of similarities between, you know, things that I'd seen in my own grandparents. I like the way you phrase that as anthropology, not sociology. And I I think the author would probably agree with you. But at the same time, he's kind of using it as like a jumping off point to make political like ideology um, theories and opinions and uh, like offerings to (laughs) people in politics. So it's a little bit like, sure, but I don't know if you can derive this conclusion from this experience. And I, again, I'm, it's, it's hard to say that because it is such a personal thing for the author clearly that I, it's hard to make the argument. And I wouldn't say that to him personally because, you know, it's hard to yeah. extrapolate that. But I, yeah, it just kind of felt a little bit aspirational to me in a way that I didn't super vibe with. It almost feels like to me that, how do I say this? I like the book itself. 
a lot more if I can take it outside of what it became in terms of all of the discourse around it and the controversy and the left trying to use it to say something and the right trying to use it to say another thing. Like, what is actually in the book, I think, is a lot more interesting even than what people tried to take it and, like, run with it, if that makes sense. Yeah, by... You know, looking at this guy, J.D. Vance, it's called a memoir. But when you read a memoir, you think of like a political figure or an entertainer that you like, someone who you're pretty attached to. This guy, when you read Hillbilly Elegy, you read it because you heard it was an interesting book, not because you necessarily know who J.D. Vance is or his story. You're reading it because it's this one person telling a story of a community. You're not reading it for his specific experiences. But I think part of the hook or the supposed hook of this story is that he's trying to make it be that his individual experience in uh, Middletown, Ohio, is only representative of that type of community. Like it doesn't exist in, quote unquote, liberal coastal elite cities, which just isn't true. It might not be the same exact details of, you know, going to, you know, this area or this literal neck of the woods but you know there's still people who struggle in new york and la and i think he sort of condenses all that to being a regional problem which just really isn't the case yeah and he even makes a point to in the introduction of the book say essentially i'm you know paraphrasing here wildly like okay i get it this book's about white people and i know that non-white people have it much harder than us inherently because of privilege and status and all that but let's just excuse that for the purposes of this entire book <laughs> he basically yeah. says let's not think <laughs> about that which is impossible to do that cannot be a part of american politics you it has to be brought into everything because it affects everything and everything is affected by it it just is that's you know the the curse of the like american like system it just is and especially when they talk about um when the book talks about the election of obama it kind of tells on itself a little bit even because he makes mention of the fact that like well regardless of party you know my people really like had things they liked about clinton and bush and reagan and basically all political figures up to this point but for some reason something about obama they just didn't trust and it's like Yes, it's right there. Why can't you say that? But he purposefully doesn't want to bring that into the equation because I think, whether intentionally or not, he knows it's going to discount a lot of what he's presenting. And I think it's a shame because I think that in some ways, it like the perspective of this white culture and and these things that he shares about it are important. And that I think he like he makes an interesting point. And at one point, he talks about the idea of the welfare queen and how stereotypically it's thought yes, of exactly. uh, as a black woman and how he's basically saying, no, I've seen a lot of white people living out that stereotype and that's who's doing it. And I think like things like that are fascinating because it's like, yeah, those are the people who would make that stereotype about black people, but they're the ones doing it often. And I think that I, kind of wish that he was able to go a step further and really acknowledge the racism and the sexism and the homophobia in this community. But I also can understand that it's a lot harder sometimes to recognize it and to talk about it whenever you're in that culture and whenever you're talking about your own family. Yeah. 
who he obviously like loves his family a lot. So I think there's definitely that element of it where like he doesn't want to be seen as like overly critiquing his family. So it feels like he shies away from some of these bigger topics that them not being there makes it feel like you don't have the full picture. Yeah, yeah. I, I like the the thing you pointed out about um, the the narrative, the false narrative of the welfare queen. I, I think the moments where he points out the interesting paradoxes that come with um, being a member of any American political class, there's always those paradoxes. I think that's the most interesting because he does go into a little bit of like, isn't it curious that this is kind of the perspective when this is the reality? And I liked that part of it. But again, I just wish he took it like a step further. <laughs> hey, everyone, sorry to interrupt, but this is a preview of our full review of the memoir Hillbilly Elegy here, a part of Next Best Adaptation, part of the Next Best Picture podcast. In order to get the full length episode, you will have to head on over to Patreon, where for $1 minimum a month, you will get this and other exclusive podcast content from nextbestpicture.com. We are proud to be part of the Evergreen Podcast Network. You can subscribe to us on SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, TuneIn, Player FM, Acast, CastBox, and also on Spotify. Be sure to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts and let us know what you think of the show. We really appreciate your feedback and your support. Thank you so much for listening. As always, we shall see you all next time. History is complicated. The story of human progress is long, messy, and riddled with controversies big and small. On Conflicted, we dive headfirst into history's most infamous events and contentious figures. We try and untangle the good from the bad, the fact from the fiction, and the monsters from the misunderstood. Was Genghis Khan a murderous butcher or a civic pioneer? Did the allied powers go too far? in firebombing the German city of Dresden at the twilight of World War II? And how did the Marquis de Sade acquire such a sinister reputation? And was any of it true? These are just a few of the tough questions we wrestle with and investigate on Conflicted. So if you love history or just enjoy a good story, please join me, your host, Zach Cornwell, for a fascinating new topic each and every month. Conflicted, a history podcast, is available on Spotify, Apple, or wherever else you get your podcasts. I hope to see you soon.